Uh, turn with me again to uh, the book of Ephesians, and we're still in chapter 1. But we are making progress. We are uh, to verse 15, and this morning we'll be looking at verses 15 through 17 of Ephesians chapter 1 as we continue to study this rich book of the Bible. Ephesians 1, chapter 15 through 17. Chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. And as I read, remember this is the Word of God. For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation, in the knowledge of him. And again, that is God's word. Let's pray. Lord God, you are good. And uh, not only is your goodness that you give us material, physical gifts, but that you've given us your word. We treasure it. We love it. We desire to know it, to hide it in our hearts. Father, help us this morning as we deal with this particular part of your word. To do so honestly, to do so uh, with open hearts, with open minds, and pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us through it today and give us the grace to apply it as our needs become evident. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the first section of uh, Ephesians that runs, as we've seen from verse 3 through 14, section we just finished studying last Lord's Day, gives us some of the strongest statements on the sovereignty of God that you'll find anywhere in the Bible. You know, as we studied those verses, we saw that God is sovereign over all things, including salvation. Verses 3 through 14 say very specifically, God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. He predestined us to adoption as sons according to His purpose. And... He works all things according to the counsel of His will. Now, many times when people hear that, when they, when they hear such a strong statements from the Bible about the sovereignty of God, they'll say, well, then, why pray? They conclude if God has indeed foreordained whatsoever comes to pass, as the text says in verse 11, He works all things after the counsel of His will, then there's no need to pray. Well, I want you to understand the Bible never comes close to drawing that conclusion. As I said last week, the, the Bible always holds the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man together. Now, that's something difficult for our finite minds to understand. We just can't quite get it. We, we can't wrap our, our heads around how those two things can be held together without contradicting each other. That God is totally sovereign and man is completely uh, responsible. And yet, that is what the Bible teaches. One does not negate the other. And the fact that God is sovereign, folks, 
should not be an impediment to prayer, but rather it should be an encouragement to pray. You see, even though God is sovereign, he chooses to work through human means to accomplish his sovereign and holy will. And one of those means is prayer. James puts it bluntly. James says, you don't have. Why? You don't have because you don't ask. Prayer is a God-given means whereby we appropriate His sovereign will for our lives. It's interesting to me that right after this profound section, verses 3 through 14, where Paul deals so carefully with the sovereignty of God, that the very next subject is the subject of prayer. That he moves right from talking about how God is sovereign over salvation. He, he chooses us before the foundation of the world. He predestines us to adoption of sons. He works all things according to the counsel of his will. And then he tells the Ephesians, Ephesians, I want you to know, in light of all that, I'm praying for you. What I want to glean from these verses this morning, I want to glean some lessons on prayer. This the sermon this morning really is is a sermon on prayer. As we look at what Paul tells us here in his prayer for the church in Ephesus. Uh, several things from this text. First, I want you to see the basis for prayer. And it's just what we've been talking about already. Paul's basis for prayer, his real basis of prayer was his understanding of the sovereignty of God. Again, for Paul, the sovereignty of God was not an impediment to prayer. It was an encouragement to pray. It didn't keep him from praying. It didn't discourage him from praying. But rather, it motivated him to pray. Look at the beginning verses in, or words in verse 15. He says, for this reason. What reason? Because of what he's just said about the sovereignty of God. Because of that. Because of what the Holy Spirit has revealed to me about the sovereignty of God, for this reason, he says, I pray for you. You see, there is a direct connection between Paul's understanding of God's sovereignty and his desire to pray. The fact that God was at work, and God was working out his plan for his people, gave Paul added motivation to pray. Now let that sink in for just a moment. We're dealing with the Apostle Paul, who, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, probably taught more about God, the character of God, the nature of God, than any other New Testament figure apart from the Lord Jesus himself. The Apostle Paul had a much clearer, grander view of the sovereignty of God than I'll ever have. And the Apostle Paul was a man of prayer. He was a man committed to prayer, devoted to prayer. It's interesting, Paul's life as a Christian began with prayer. You know, when we're told about his conversion in Acts chapter 9, he was accosted on the, the Damascus Road, remember? Jesus appeared to him, this bright light uh, came over him, so bright that he was blinded. 
had to be led into the village. And there Paul was waiting for God to do something for him. And, and God came to a man named Ananias in a vision. And Ananias was the one who was to go. He was, he was Saul, still Saul then. Go see Saul and uh, lay hands on him and restore his sight. Interesting what God told Ananias about Saul. Probably was still blind now. Right after his conversion, he said, Go see him, for he is praying. He's praying. Right after his conversion, what do we find Paul doing? Paul was praying. And all the way through his life, it's just like it grew. The more he understood about God, the more his prayer life grew. You, know, you can't read Paul's letters, whether it's a church or to individuals, and not find all this talk about prayer. I'm praying for you. This is what I'm praying for you, he'll tell them. And then admonitions for people to pray. Paul was a man who understood that those two things don't contradict God's sovereignty, man's responsibility. God's sovereign. But we're responsible to pray. And what I want you to see then as we begin this morning is that, that, that Paul's grasp of who God is didn't keep him from praying. But it wasn't the basis for his prayer. Paul didn't say, well, God has a plan. He's working out his plan. And so there's no need for me to pray. No, no Paul said, God has a plan. He's working his plan, so I better pray. Because he understood that the prayers of the people are the God-given means for accomplishing God's eternal purpose and plan. And so it was for that reason and on that basis that Paul prayed. And, and what that did was, it gave Paul confidence as he prayed. Because ultimately, what do we want when we pray? We want God's will to be done. And God has a will. And we're praying, oh God, make your will a reality in the lives of your people. Accomplish what you began before the foundation of the world. Make it a reality. That's even the way the Lord Jesus prayed, wasn't it? You know, Jesus grasped it. Now, not before he went to the cross, in his human nature, Jesus wanted to, the agony of the cross to pass from him. That's what he prayed. Lord, if there's any way, there's any way, let this cup pass from me. But then he added, but not my will, your will be done. And we always ought to pray in that way, and we pray that way in confidence. So the basis of his prayer was the sovereign of God. Second, we see the cause for his prayer. Specifically, the cause for this prayer, for this church and these people in Ephesus. Uh, remember, this letter, Ephesians, is written while Paul was in prison in Rome. Now, he was under house arrest. And even though he was under house arrest, he was able to uh, have visitors. He was able to receive communications from those outside. And so Paul continued to get information and feedback about the churches 
where he had been and the churches he had started and the churches where he had pastored and the churches where he had ministered. He received news. Good news sometimes, not so good news sometimes. But he received some good news about these Christians in Ephesus. And that was the cause, immediate cause, for his prayer. He'd heard two encouraging things about these believers. Look at verse 15. For this reason I too, he says, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you, and your love for all the saints. You know, we think about Paul being a, a, an evangelist, a missionary, and he certainly was both of those. But above all to me, Paul was a pastor. He had a pastor's heart. He was so encouraged when he saw God working in the lives of his people. And he so encouraged Paul to get this report about these believers. He said, I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and I've heard of your love for all the saints. And, and when Paul heard of what God was doing and building his people in spiritual qualities, it gave him great joy. And that was the immediate cause for his prayer here. Faith in the Lord Jesus and love for all the saints. Two distinguishing marks of believers. Faith is the most fundamental characteristic of a Christian. I'm going to be teaching the uh, youth this week about distinguishing traits of Christian character, what I did with the adults back in the spring, a few of those. We're going to start right there tomorrow night. We'll talk about faith as the distinguishing mark of a believer. As one who has faith and one who lives by faith. You see, the more we live by faith, the more we really trust Christ, moment by moment, the more Christ-centered we will be. We try to talk about that a lot here in this church because that's what we want to be. We want our lives to be centered and focused on Christ. Those of you who are parents and you have children... You want your homes to be Christ-centered homes. You want your children to know what it is to experience the love of Christ and, and to respond by loving Him. As an individual believer, you want your life to be Christ-centered, focused upon Him so that your life pleases Him in every way. As a church, what do we want? We want to be Christ-centered people so that we come to, to worship. Our worship is all about Him and not about us. Faith in the Lord Jesus is a fundamental Christian characteristic, and we grow in our faith. We're saved by grace, through faith, but then we are to live by faith and to walk by faith. Love for all the saints is another distinguishing mark of the Christian. In fact, it may be that love sets us apart more than anything else. Love identifies us as God's people. And you know how God loves us. God doesn't love us because of anything in us. God loves us unconditionally. And that's the way we're to love each other. How can a group so diverse, from so many different backgrounds, with so many different viewpoints, 
come together every Lord's Day and find such joy in being together. If it wasn't unconditional love. Love not because of, but love in spite of. It's a key to every relationship, isn't it? In our homes, many times our love is in spite of what we experience or what happens, what we do. My wife certainly has to love me in spite of who I am many times. This is true in the church. Many times we love each other in spite of things. And yet love sets us apart as the people of God, as a distinguishing mark of the church. And Paul was so encouraged when he heard these Ephesian Christians were loving one another. I want you to look at uh, John chapter 13 with me for just a moment. Turn to keep your finger in Ephesians 1 and flip over to John chapter 13. John, of course, is the, we call that, is the uh, gospel of love. His, first John is an epistle of love. He's the disciple that we say Jesus loved. He got it from Jesus. Look at verses 33 and, or 34 and 35 of John 13. A new commandment I give to you. These are the words of Jesus. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Then catch verse 35. By this, by this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one another. He didn't say by this, if you have deep theological knowledge, people know you're my disciples. By this, if you do a lot of good works, people know you're my disciples. No, by this. By this. By your loving each other. That's how people will know that you belong to me. Paul had heard those two good things about the Ephesian Christians. And, and that motivated him to pray for them. You heard it. You know, when, when Paul received news about other people, it wasn't just information. But it was motivation for him to pray for them and for what he heard about them. Third, we see in this passage the frequency of prayer. I mentioned earlier that Paul was a man of prayer. And we see it clearly in verse 16. Let me read verses 15 and 16 together. For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you, your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. I've said it already, I'll say it again, I believe Paul's life was characterized by prayer. Again, when Paul received news, information about other people, it wasn't just gossip, it wasn't just information. Oh, isn't that interesting news? No, but it drove him to pray for those about he heard and what he heard about them. Now, Paul was clearly thankful, wasn't he, for what he'd heard about the Ephesian Christians. He said, having heard these things, having heard of your faith and your love, I do not cease, he says, I don't cease giving thanks for you as I make mention of you in my prayers. Again, that shows us Paul's pastor's heart. But notice the frequency again. He says, I do not cease giving thanks for you 
while making mention of you in my prayers. You know, Paul was one who practiced what he preached. I wish I was more of one who practiced what he preaches. <laughs> but Paul practiced what he preached. Remember what he said in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 about prayer? Pray without ceasing. What's the wording here he uses to the Ephesians? I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. Paul's prayers for the Ephesians were ongoing and consistent. That doesn't mean that Paul was always on his knees praying every moment of every day for these Ephesian Christians. It doesn't mean that he was repeatedly verbalizing prayers for them. What it does mean is what we find here. He had a continual heart of thanksgiving for them and for the good work God was doing in their lives. And when God brought them to mind, he did not cease to pray for them, praying for them persistently, consistently. His prayers were regular and faithful. Uh, flip over to uh, the book of Philippians for just a second. The next book of the Bible, Philippians chapter 1, where Paul's writing to another church, to the Philippian church. He says this in verses 3 and 4. Very similar. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. Paul's praying was consistent and faithful and regular. He told Timothy, I constantly remember you in my prayers day and night. I would imagine that Paul's testimony of prayer puts most of us to shame. Does me. You know, most of us pray occasionally, not regularly. Most of us pray in times of crisis, not just for God's good work to continue in our heart. Most of us pray irregularly rather than regularly. And so Paul's testimony here ought to be encouragement to us to pray more regularly, to pray more persistently, to pray more faithfully, and expect God to bless. And then fourth, we see the goal of prayer. The goal. Now, we pray here at North Point. We pray for a lot of different things. You know, the, the prayer list that we send out, it's not every week, but we send it out regularly. The prayer list. And by the way, if you're not on the prayer list and you want to receive it, let me know. It's a valuable tool. We send it out by email. If you're not on that list, let me know. I'll, I'll give me your email address. We'll get you added. But that prayer list has a lot of different things on it, doesn't it? All the way from serious, people with serious illnesses, fighting cancer, people who have had strokes or heart attacks, the students about to take a test, people trying to sell a house, people who are traveling for safe traveling mercies. We pray for lots of different things. Now, lots of people ask me to pray for things that never make the list. I'm so the privilege of being a pastor. 
people confiding in their hearts to you asking you would you pray about this personal matter in my life and it's a great joy to be able to do that but what is our ultimate goal when we pray for the needs people have verbalized to us is it just for healing from that illness is it just for an A on that test is it just that the house will finally sell is it just that they would make it from point A to point B safely without having an accident no our ultimate goal in prayer and that's what Paul reflects I think in this this text our ultimate goal as we pray for people is for their sanctification for their growth in grace a few weeks ago I mentioned a passage from Jeremiah 18 where Jeremiah uses the image of God and, and the, the potter at the potter's wheel remember that the, the potter is God the clay is his people and the potter's wheel, what he uses to mold and shape the, the clay into what he wants, the potter's wheel are the circumstances that God uses to make us into what he wants us to be. Folks, the things on that prayer list are the potter's wheel. I, I didn't ask permission, but I'll refer to something Hans said during the prayer time in Sunday school this morning. He said, we believe in the sovereignty of God. This, my, my daughter breaking her arm wasn't an accident. We're looking to see what God is teaching us through this experience. It's the potter's wheel. The potter's wheel. All the circumstances of our lives are what God is using to mold us and shape us into what He wants us to be, to give us a greater knowledge of Himself. That's what the text says in verse... 17. I pray that he may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. See, our prayers is our prayers are that, that God would use whatever circumstance it is in your life, that for which we're praying, that God would use that to help you to know him better. God's the ultimate lesson teacher. And he has lots of lessons he teaches us in this book. But God teaches us lots of lessons through life. And the experiences that he brings our way. And so we pray. When I pray. When, when I pray uh, for you to be healed. For you to, to deal with an illness. I'm not just praying for you. But I'm praying for you to learn important and valuable lessons about trusting God in that illness and, and being able to bear testimony to your faith during that time. When, when I pray that, that your house would set, I'm not just praying that a buyer would come quickly, as even though we all desire that to happen. But I'm praying that God would teach you important lessons as you wait patiently for His timing for that to occur. When I pray for you to be safe on the road traveling from your vacation back to Meridian, I'm not just praying that I'll see your smiling face come in the door the next Lord's Day, but I'm praying that 
as you travel, you'll realize your complete dependence upon God. Folks, when we travel the highway, we're about two feet. We're about two feet in debt. For one text message that someone sent from death. And so when we pray for safe travels, we're praying that we would understand we're in God's hand. And we're trusting Him to get us from point A to point B. You know, this passage really isn't a treatise on prayer. It's just Paul telling some Christians in Ephesus that Daddy was praying for them, why I was praying for them, and the goal of his prayers for them. But it sure did turn out to be a treatise on prayer, didn't it? Why do we pray? Why do we pray? We pray because God has a plan. And because God uses our prayers to accomplish it. What is the cause of our prayer? Our cause is when God brings to our mind people who mean a lot to us. Sometimes it's joy because we hear their faith and their love increasing. Sometimes it's out of a broken heart because of sin, transgression. God brings them to mind. That's the cause of our prayer. How often do we pray? We pray regularly, persistently, faithfully. And what's our goal? So that all of us one day will be more like Jesus. We grow in the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him. Let's pray. Let's pray. Pray. Pray as individuals. Pray in your homes. And let's pray as a church. And expect God to do great things. Making us more like Him. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for your word. We love it. We treasure it. We delight in it. We want to be fed from it. And I pray that you would speak to our hearts now through this, your word, and that you would help us to be men and women, yes, even boys and girls, prayer. Who pray. Who pray faithfully. Who pray believing. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.